Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How you doing? How you holding up? What's going on with you as you care for your loved one? You know, healthy caregivers make better caregivers. How would you rate your health today? Physical, emotional, spiritual, financial? How are all those things working? If you feel like you're struggling, you're in the right place. Recently, Gracie and I had a lunch with a woman who was really struggling. Her 20, 21-year-old son has now decided he's a woman and wants to live accordingly. And she was wrestling with this issue mildly, as you can imagine. She went on to add that her son had recently gotten mad at her and said, you know, you've got pictures of me as a boy all around the house, and I don't want them there. And I watched her struggle to remind herself to call him she as she referred to him. And it was very difficult for her. She was stammering through it and trying to find solid ground here. And, and she said, but I, I, she, he wants me to take all the pictures down of him when he was a boy because now he wants to identify as a woman. She said, what do I do? Well, first off, I am no trained counselor. I'm no mental health expert. I am a caregiver, and I am somebody who has watched suffering for a very long time. And the only thing I knew were my own experiences and how it relates in the context of the Word of God. But I, I asked her, I said, well, whose house is it? She said, well, it's my house. And I said, well, it seems that you can mourn the loss of your son however you choose to. She seemed very surprised by the answer and kind of took a deep breath and said, yeah, you're right, I can. Now, I don't know how that situation has resolved itself and I don't know that it will resolve itself. I think that is a troubling set of circumstances that seem to be gripping a lot of people in our society and certainly is a hot-button issue in our culture. Again, I'm no trained mental health expert. I'm not clergy. I'm not any of those things. But let me, let me throw this out at you and see what you think. You know, most of you that listen to this program regularly know that my wife is a bilateral amputee. Both of her legs below the knee are amputated. This was an extremely difficult choice for her. Her legs were so damaged that it was killing her to keep them. And it was uh, a very painful decision that she spent a good bit of time with on removing those legs. The wreck that she had back in 1983, in a sense, amputated both of them. Surgically, they were repaired, but never able to function normally. And sometimes parts of our body are broken, and they're, they're so broken that they're hurting the body. Well, imagine if you would, if somebody wanted to amputate a fully functional part of their body. 
just because they wanted to scratch an emotional itch or identify as something else. And there are people out there who have done that, that have had amputation done to their bodies. Some of them I know have sawed their own fingers off so they could identify as an amputee. I know of these, I've met these people. What would you say about them? That's a fully functional, healthy part of their body. Just because they have an emotional itch, they want to do it. Gracie had to have her legs removed because they were broken and damaged. The limb was damaged. It was not functioning. It was creating so much pain for her and so much distress. And after many years of trying to save it, she finally sat down with her surgeon and made the call. And she's gone on to live a much better life with prosthetic limbs than she had with her real limbs. But it was not done to scratch an emotional itch or a mental state of mind. There are people out there now who are advocating that we put chemicals into children's bodies, puberty blockers, because of an emotional plight that the kids may or may not find themselves in. They're advocating that they perform surgery on minors to remove and mutilate healthy, functioning parts of their body, all because of an ideology that is sweeping certain parts of our culture. Gracie's amputations were not done because of an emotional need to identify as something different. Her legs were broken beyond repair. They tried to repair them. It was prohibiting her from being able to function. Her gallbladder burst. They had to remove that. If somebody came to the surgeon and said, take out my gallbladder, I can live without it. Take it out. Well, is there something wrong with it? Well, no, I just don't want to have it. I just like to identify somebody without a gallbladder. You see the correlation? You see what's going on? In the Hippocratic Oath, it says, I will do no harm or injustice to them, meaning my patients. Neither will I administer a poison to anybody when asked to do so, nor will I suggest such a course. Similarly, I will not give to a woman a pessary to cause an abortion, but I will keep pure and holy both my life and my art. I will not use the knife, not even, verily, on sufferers from stone, meaning kidney stones. In other words, the, the, the knife is the last thing, the last course of action. And yet we have people rushing now to mutilate minors. We have people rushing to do things that are just horrific. The Hippocratic Oath goes on to say, In whatsoever houses I enter, I will enter to help the sick, and I will abstain from all intentional wrongdoing and harm, especially from abusing the bodies of man or woman, bond or free. And it goes on at the end of it, he says, Now if I carry out this oath and break it not, may I gain forever reputation among all men for my life and for my art. But if I break it and forswear myself, may the opposite befall me. Now that's the Hippocratic Oath that has stood for eons. And yet now, look at where we are as a society. We're having these conversations. Why? Again, I'm going to ask you, if somebody came to you and said, I want to amputate my left hand so that I can identify as a right-handed person, 
Is there something wrong with your left hand? No, I don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel. Well, then let's go see a surgeon right away. This is, in a sense, what is happening. And so I ask you, what are we to do about this? Do we just go along with this woke culture? Do we just go ahead and say, well, sure, whatever, go ahead. Here's a surgeon down the road down there. Go down and do that. Or do we recognize that there is a greater issue going on? And we address it accordingly with the Word of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I ask you, does this sound like the will of God? Does this in any way coincide with Scripture? This move to mutilate minors and children, not to mention adults, but I mean, adults are adults, but they're doing it to children. And they're putting this pressure on us that we must accept this. And it's tearing families apart. It's tearing churches apart. What are we to do about this? If you even cursory glance at the news, you'll see that there is this move to normalize mental illness in our society. And there are a lot of family members who are stuck in this. Caregivers of the mentally ill. We're going to talk about that some more when we come back. This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us. And they said, after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. It gives an impetus to share your faith when you think you've got answers to objections that you expect people to bring up. The American Family Studios video series, Intro to God's Revelation, featuring Dr. Richard Howe, shows how God has revealed Himself in nature and His Word, and how we can rightly understand what God has said. These truths are just a part and parcel of the Christian life. It isn't just for the professional clergy. Learn the fundamentals of how to approach and understand the Bible in an age of skepticism. This six-week video curriculum is perfect for your Sunday school class or study group, and it can prepare you to give a defense of God's Word and how He speaks to us in nature. Knowing whether and how God communicates is a safeguard against false claims about God communicating. Intro to God's Revelation, DVDs and workbook are available for purchase at afastore.net or call 877-927-4917. There is a Redeemer 
Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. That is Keith Green, and I love that hymn. I love playing that hymn. Uh, Every time I sit down to the piano and play that, I just love it. It's one of those 25 hymns I think every Christian ought to know. It's an extraordinary hymn, so if you don't know it, please take the time to go out and search it and learn it. Uh, We play it quite often on this program. Probably need to play it more. The message of that hymn, to me, helps me keep a 30,000-foot view even higher of the bigger picture, that there is a Redeemer. And all the things that we look at as caregivers are in the context of that great Redeemer who is working through all of this. It helps give me that assurance so that I can walk through the things that God has invited Gracie and I to walk through and trust Him with greater understanding. And so that's why that's why I love that hymn. Many years ago, I mean, this has got to be... Wow, well over 30 years ago, before Gracie gave up her legs, she was it was the right leg first. Both of her legs were basically mangled in the car wreck, and they surgically rebuilt them to the best they could. But the right one particularly, the right ankle, was so messed up, and she was hobbling around with a cane. It, it, you know, she was 20, maybe 25, 24. It was a very difficult time for her her right foot was kind of pointed inward. She had a very noticeable limp and walking gait that was very impaired. And they had fused this ankle several times to no avail. It was just continuing to decline. Most of the challenges that Gracie has today are as a result of so many surgeries trying to save her legs. This her right leg was the, the main culprit. There was, she went through a lot of heartache to save that right leg and ultimately had to give it up. But she was still struggling in that manner, on that leg, at this time. And there was a a pastor at a church we attended there in Nashville. He was new there, and he saw her coming out. Now, you've got to see the picture with Gracie. I mean, Gracie, go back. Don't don't take my word for it. Google her. I mean, she's an exquisitely beautiful woman. And here's this young woman, just so beautiful. And every she, she just dressed impeccably, you know, just an extraordinarily beautiful woman. She's coming out of church, and she's got this cane. It was a cane that her father made for her out of uh, cedar from out here in in this place in Montana. And she leaned on that cane, and she was walking on it. And and here she was walking. Again, she wasn't even 25. And this pastor who never met her looked at her and said, you know, if you ever get tired of using that, uh, I've, I've had some great experiences and gifting from the Lord on healing. Well, both of us were a bit taken aback. You know, how did he respond? We were both just, you know, kids in our 20s, and we'd been struggling with this. And I don't even remember how we got out of the conversation. But it stayed with me. I can remember where we were. We said it's one of those flashbulb moments in my mind. And I called him up uh, later on that evening, and I, you know, he didn't know us that at all. And I said, I would love to talk with you more about this. Do you know the history of how we got here? And he didn't know really anything about it. And I kind of gave him a big picture. And he said he'd like to come over to the house. 
And the next night or so, I think it was within 48 hours, he showed up. He knocked, I heard the doorbell ring at our home, and he stood outside. He said, I can't come in here until I ask for your forgiveness. He, he was almost at the point of tears. We, we welcomed him into the house, and he sat down with us, and he just apologized profusely for his insensitivity. At some point between my phone call and him showing up at the house, something changed. And he was incredibly gracious and extremely sorrowful that he had overstepped and, and been so glib about it. I don't doubt that he had witnessed amazing healing events in his past, and he continued to pray for us regularly and stayed with Gracie and I through some very hard realities. And I, I love him deeply to this day. It was just one of those kind of extraordinary moments. And we didn't talk a lot about faith healing and things such as that afterwards, even though neither of us, Gracie included, discounted that God could. I think there was just that general awareness that in this particular case, God chose not to. And we accepted and trusted him in it. Uh, it, was an, it was an extraordinary moment, though, to see him standing out on our doorstep like that. I cannot come into your home until I ask for your forgiveness. And I thought how many of us wade into people's suffering with little or no understanding of how they got there, including things such as mental illness, including things with this gender issue that's affecting so many and, are, and, and is on the airwaves, everything else. How did we get here? What's the backstory? Do we just you know, walk in ham-fisted like a, you know, like a bunch of Clydesdale into people's heartache? Or can we step into it boldly, but with great compassion? I have some friends of mine who adopted a baby, and um, this child has, has been through quite a bit. As she matured and got older, she went through all kinds of stuff. And they did some work they didn't know. She came into this world with so many things stacked against her, and they didn't know all the things that had gone on with her biological parents, um, you know, drugs, addiction, other things. And there was, there was not that understanding of what this would mean to this child as it grew up. Some things get passed on from generation to generation. And as this child was acting out and going through all this stuff, and these two people are the most loving wonderful people you would ever hope to meet. And their heartache just grew and grew and grew and still persists to this day. And all too many Christians wanted to parachute in and tell them what they ought to do, tell them how to do this and this and so forth. You know, think about the reaction you felt when I described that pastor telling Gracie, well, if you ever get tired of using that cane, I've got some real healing gifts. I mean, think about how aghast you felt to hear that because you've, you've as an audience member, you've gotten to know Gracie and you've known how difficult her heartache is. And yet, how many people are doing this to 
parents of special needs children, of children with emotional turbulence in their life, children who are choosing to go into all types of things, whether it's addiction, whether it's gender issues, whether it's homosexuality, whether whatever. And yet we leap to them and say, you know, hey, if you ever get tired of your kid acting this way, you know, I got some. Really? I think we're called to have great humility in this area as believers and people who want to share the great redemption work of God. How can we say there is a redeemer to other people unless we first understand it ourselves and see that redemption in our own life? And that causes us to walk with great confidence, but with great humility into other people's heartache. The verse that that just heavy on my heart, and it has been since I've started doing this program, is what Paul said in Corinthians. You comfort one another with the same comfort that you yourself have received from the God of all comfort. Well, what comfort have I received through this now multi-decade journey I've had with Gracie? If you had to speculate, particularly those of you who listened to the program for a long time, what would you say? What kind of comfort do you think I've received from the God of all comfort? Well, I'll tell you. I have received the comfort of knowing that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it, as Paul says in Philippians. I have received the comfort of knowing that he has not abandoned us, that our God is sovereign, and he is not caught unawares of all that is going on with Gracie in the suffering that I observe every day. I have the comfort of knowing that he accepts me because of what he did, the provisions he made on the cross, that I can boldly go to him and, as Paul says, cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. I have the comfort of knowing that he's working all of these things to his glory for good. And I can trust it. I have the comfort of knowing that as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me. And all these promises in scriptures and all these things that he says about himself, I have been comforted knowing that I can rely on that, that it is bedrock, that there is that assurance. You remember when I told you I named that surgery of Gracie's in Denver earlier this year. I called it Operation Assurance, Aggressive Assurance, because all of us cry out for assurance. Is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? And I have that comfort of knowing that, yeah, it's going to be okay. For a season, it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be lonely. It's going to be distressing, wearisome, frustrating, and even vexing at times. But it is going to be okay. And he's going to be with me through those times. So when we see others who are in peril, whatever the distress, even if it's self-inflicted, most things are. 
do we go in heavy-handed? Do we go in with this growling, thus saith the Lord? Or do we go in weeping and sit with them and assure them? Are we willing to stand at the doorway like that pastor said, I can't come in until I ask your forgiveness? That's my hope for myself, that I will emulate that, because I'm going to mess it up. What do I mean, I'm going to mess it up? I have messed it up. (laughs) You have no idea. But yet, that is our hope, that He is that great Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. And that is hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. What would you do? Aunt Sadie, I appreciate your thought behind the gift card, but I just can't take it. I promise not to shop at Target because they allow men in areas that need to be private and protected for women and children. I hope you'll go to afa.net slash Target and learn about it. I'm not giving them my money. Aunt Sadie didn't know about AFA's call to boycott Target, but she knows now, and so do you. Learn even more at afa.net slash Target. afa.net slash Target. What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks, the award-winning documentary from the American Family Association, is now available in a special limited edition DVD set. This release includes a Sunday school curriculum and two hours of additional footage. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to get your copy today. Thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's Dr. Ben Witherington from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks. Here's the most important point for looking at our Gospels. Most ancient people believe that how you died most revealed your character. Now this is a problem, because how did Jesus die? He died by the most shameful way to die in antiquity, through death on a cross. So one of the strong motivations for telling the tale the way that the New Testament writers told it is to make clear that though this would appear to be the most terrific and shameful death ever, that yet he was still not only a good person, but he was God's person on top of that, and that after his death, God vindicated him. Visit thegodwhospeaks.org. All the people sinking down Don't you care, don't you care Are you gonna let them drown? Welcome back to Hope of the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. And we're glad that you are with us. There's a new film out called Unseen. It's a documentary. Guess what it's about? It's about a caregiving family. I have the creative minds behind this film here with me. Tom and Amanda Dyer from Nashville, Tennessee. This film is creating quite a buzz around the country. It is a subject that is near and dear, of course, to my heart. And I want to welcome you all to the program. So thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Tell me what piqued your interest on that. I mean, your background in film, what about this grabs your interest? 
Yeah, we actually had no connection to this world to begin with. Um, we're not parents or caregivers ourselves. So we were actually just talking about kind of doing a creative project, something for fun that we wanted to collaborate on that you know, we could do together. And right about that time, we just stumbled across uh, the Ronnie family through social media, realized they lived not too far from us. We you know, they kind of mentioned that they thought a documentary would be a powerful tool to kind of show the challenges of being a caregiver and, and really peel back that curtain and give people a better glimpse. And that that just piqued our interest. Um, once we met with them, they just told us some stories that really blew our minds. And we just saw immediately that there was some potential here for a documentary to be a powerful tool um, to tell their stories and really just open people's minds. Yeah, it started off as a passion project for us. Um, it was just we we do a lot of client work, and we wanted to do something that was uh, more meaningful and um, uh, just something that we could kind of sink our teeth into. And this was um, uh, something that these families are going through that we had no uh, knowledge of previously. And so once we started to kind of become aware of some of this stuff, it was um, pretty surprising to us and something we felt like um, we could um, help. Uh, tell these uh, these experiences and these stories for these families. What what is their background? What is their story? Just in a brief overview. Yeah, the really high level. Um, they are a blended family. Um, both Jess and Ryan, their their first spouses passed away, um, and so they were caregivers for their spouses first. Um, and then when they found each other and got married, blended their families. Um, and one of the, so now they have eight children, one of whom is Lucas, who has profound disabilities. Um, and they've just gone through kind of a crazy journey of, um, first of all, not even thinking that he was going to survive. Um, but then he was born. They had tons of support from their church, community, family, friends. Um, and kind of took that for granted. And then as he got older, they ended up moving. We're a little to a little more rural environment. Um, some of that help fell away and they just, everything changed. They just started, as he got older, things were more difficult. Um, the help fell away, the resources fell away. And that's when they were just really struggling and looking around saying, what, what do we do? We, we don't have support and we don't know what to do. What did you all, I mean, you went in this with no knowledge of this world of caregivers. What surprised you? What was your takeaway? What dismayed you? What broke your heart? All of the above. Yeah. Um, uh, short answer is quite a bit. Um, I think that uh, one of the surprising things was just um, uh, the isolation that a lot of these families experience um, just being as busy and as um, occupied as they are with just um, you know, the things that are necessary for them to take care of, of their family or their individual that they are, that they're caring for. I mean, it's just, um, it's for a lot of them, it's constant and there's not much relief. Um, and one thing we talk about a lot is respite, you know, the idea of respite in, in a lot of these families, um, it just, it doesn't exist. Um, and so, uh, uh, that, and, and just the, um, we, we got a lot of feedback from other caregivers during this and just the, the similarities between the issues that they experience um, across the board were just um, always surprising, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we heard so many of the same or similar stories over and over. And we we just had no idea that this was such a common issue. I mean, the, the stat 
stat we found is there's 16.8 million people caring for, and that's just caring for a child with this. That doesn't even, you know, count um, elder care or spouse, you know, other kinds of caregiving. Um, so with numbers like that, there's a good chance you know, everybody knows a caregiver in some form or fashion. Um, so it was just eye-opening to us to realize that there's people, there's caregivers all over, and it's just so easy to kind of not realize that um, because a lot of caregiving happens at home and because it can be difficult to get out into the community. It's not accessible. It's not built for families that it's easy just to not see them and not think about them. And that, I mean, that's what this made us in is what motivated this project too. What are some things that surprised you in a positive way that you say, okay, this is life-changing for me. This is a principle I'm seeing going on here, whether it's faith related, whether it's what, 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 what is your takeaway that Tom and Amanda now are, your lives will never be the same because of this kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, so many things truly. Um, I think I always say you can't care about something you don't know about. And then now that we know we have to care, like we, we care, um, we are invested in this now. And, um, I think it's something that we, we can't unknow now. Um, so we feel very motivated to um, do what we can for this community, to use the skills that we have to bring this message to light. Um, and we are totally grateful and indebted to the families that were willing to share with us who, you know, they didn't know us. They didn't know what our angle was or what our motivation was, but they trusted us and told with their stories gave us, you know, glimpses into their life behind the scenes and shared things that are difficult and and made them vulnerable. So we are truly grateful to, to them being willing to do that. Um, and I think it's it also is encouraging to see that other people do care too. As we bring this to communities and hear from people that are watching it, um, we are seeing that people do care and want to know what can I do after, you know, now that I'm aware, what can I do? How can I help? So I hope that's encouraging for the caregivers that are listening to know that as people become aware, there is more compassion building. How about you, Tom? I mean, I think uh, one of the things that that um, surprised me quite a bit and was inspiring is just um, a lot of the families that we talk to and work with, they are so busy. And so they have so much to do. And yet they uh, they find the time and the capacity to, um, you know, uh, advocate for other families as well. I mean, there's, it's such a, it's obviously such a, a tight knit community that really has each other's backs. Um, uh, and it's just, it was, it was fun to see these people, these families go, you know, kind of lock arm in arm, um, to, to help, uh, help out each other in any way they can. Uh, especially when they have so much to do, just the, some of the perseverance that that a lot of them that I saw in a lot of them was um, uh, particularly inspiring. So, um, yeah, it was um, definitely eye opening in a lot of ways. Were there moments when you were behind the camera, you're looking at the playback, you're watching this thing unfold, or maybe just in the edit room where you just kind of had to stop and take a knee, catch your breath a little bit? Did you have those kind of moments? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, We're very grateful to the Ronnie family just for being as open as they were. Um, And that was something that we had to really um, balance, right? Is because so much of 
caregiving and so much of the struggle that uh, these families go through happens behind closed doors. Um, so people don't see it often. And they were the Ronnie family was kind enough to let us behind those closed doors and so uh, and be vulnerable with us. And that um, at times was difficult. I mean, just to see um, what their daily life played out and so how their daily life played out. And so um, uh, there, it was it was tough at times just to watch, you know, uh, what they go through and just how meticulously they have had to manage and structure their days um, so that things uh, run um, at least somewhat smoothly when they can. Uh, and so it was there were times where it was quite surprising for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the hearing the stories from so many different families and getting the feedback of you know people who have seen it or, uh, you know, hearing how meaningful it is to them and how they've um, found it eye opening or healing to watch or um, that's sort of the fuel to keep. I mean, you know, it's it's a lot of effort to create and distribute a documentary. And, and we honestly didn't totally see all of that coming, but it's there. Um, responses and them telling us how important it is that is really that fuel to keep going even when it is you know challenging subject matter and challenging just to manage now you guys are premiering this in various places tell me a little bit about the premieres that are going on you have live events you have satellite events you've got online stuff tell me what's going on with that in the last minute Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're doing a lot of different ways of getting it out. Um, we have some in-person screenings, the next one coming up locally here in Nashville on September 25th. Um, and then we're also doing other in-person ones around the country. If you go to our website, caregiverdoc.com slash watch, that's kind of the ongoing list of screenings that are popping up. So you can keep an eye on that. And then we're also doing a national premiere in November, along with National Family Caregivers Month. So that's coming up too. No matter where you are, you'll be able to access that one. Excellent. What's next for you guys? I mean, this is obviously taking you by storm. I mean, this is a bigger project than you ever intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. What's next? Um, well, we're, we're working on some um, bonus content to kind of go along, dive into some of these issues a little bit more deeply. Um, so if anyone anyone's interested in sharing to contribute to that, um, there's some information on our website there as well. Um, and then we do have some other projects in the works. They're still very early on in development stage, um, but we're hoping some of those can pan out and we can start telling more stories. As well. Are you going to do an extended version with the gag reel? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's some bloopers lingering around. <laughs> we, we we have lots of bloopers at my house. So, <laughs> so, uh, so that, that would be kind of fun. Well, yeah. this is very, this is very exciting. And I'm glad to see a, a concerted effort on this. I'm glad to hear about the reception that you're, you're getting. Obviously audiences around the country that are seeing this are being very moved by this and it's resonating deeply and it's an extraordinary project that you two have taken on, particularly since you had no connection to this. You just saw the need. And uh, there, are, there are a lot of us caregivers out there. And mm-hmm. I would like to thank you for, for doing this. I think it's going to be an extraordinary film and project for you guys. This is Peter Roseberry with, with Tom and Amanda Dyer. The movie is called Unseen. Go to caregiverdoc.com, caregiverdoc.com. And Tom and Amanda, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having us. All right, we'll be right back. I know there will be sorrow. We'll face that somehow. But my hands can't hold tomorrow. 
Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on our fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. Welcome to Apologetics with Carl Kirby. The logical conclusion of the atheistic worldview is nihilism, and that's the idea that if there's no God, there's no purpose or meaning to life. That's a depressing worldview. So, what makes people want to adopt it? Well, the truth is, some people simply look for any alternative to God because they don't want to be held to his standard of morality or submit to his authority. They want to do what they want to do without restrictions. Former atheist and nihilist turned Christian, Jay Bujizewski, put it this way, you know, I didn't study a list of propositions and then become a nihilist. I was a nihilist looking for an excuse to be a nihilist because the presence of God made me more and more uncomfortable. I began looking for reasons to believe that he didn't exist. That says it all. Next time we'll talk about agnosticism, yet another deceptive worldview. For more resources, go to hopetools.net and stay bold. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger, and we're so glad that you are with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Some years ago, I met a wonderful lady named Suzanne White, and she was on my program when we were back in Nashville. It's been way too long, and she's got a new book out called Self-Care for Caregivers. Her website is Caregiver Warrior, and she is one, and I'm glad to have you back, Suzanne. It's been way too long, so thank you for being back and I apologize for taking so long to get you on this program. Oh, listen, anytime I can be with you, I will wait forever. So I am well, happy to be here. Very gracious <laughs> of you. Tell me, uh, bring us up to speed on your journey first. Then we'll get into this new book. Uh, for folks that don't know you haven't met you before. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yes, I will be glad to do that. Happy to do that. So, you know, I was a caregiver for my parents and other family members and so often I would feel lost and alone and realize that they don't tell you anything. Like they don't tell you about this stuff. So I, um, I was blessed to take care of mom and dad. And during that journey, since I didn't get along with mom too well, I had to make lots of changes in my life. And I figured, you know, let me just jot some of this stuff down. Cause I was a singer songwriter, you know, I used to be a lyricist. So I knew that writing, writing stuff down and journaling for me would really be helpful. So I kind of kept a log and little notes here and there. So um, 
as I finished and they both, I lost both of them within seven weeks of each other. Um, I, you know, I just figured maybe some caregivers out there could benefit from some of the mistakes I made. <laughs> so I started blogging, you know, and I came up with caregiver warrior. Um, cause I, I think the caregivers are warriors. I think they're out there fighting every day. And, uh, I started a blog and a website and it seems to be helping people. So here I am caregiver warrior and trying to save one caregiver at a time. Well, and you're not a timid person. You are a fighter and <laughs> you bring a great deal of passion to everything you do. Tell me about this book, self-care for caregivers, self-care for caregivers. It just came out. I mean, it's brand new. Just brand new. And, and it's, and I don't I, even I, have my copy yet, <laughs> which is a shame. You got to that's make sure that's, to, no, that's to okay. I, mean, I got, change that. I got you. So uh, how about that? So, but oh, tell, thank us, you so tell much. us a little bit about this book. Well, you know, it's, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm so excited because it's actually in my hands, you know, it's incredible when you have a creative process and it's in your head and then you put it in your hands. So I actually have it, the hard copy in my hands. You know, I, I took I took notes and I just thought, you know what, let me let me jot this down. And um, as I was doing stuff on Instagram and all my social media and everything, uh, Adams Media, which is a division of Simon Schuster, came to me and said, hey, would you ever think about writing a book? And I went funny. Yeah, I would. do. Yeah. They said, well, we'd like you to do something for you, for us. So um, we jumped at it together and um, they have been absolutely lovely. And I came up with self-care for caregivers. It's 140 tools and tips and strategies that I came up with and really an easy to read, jump in anywhere in the book guide for caregivers to, to help them prioritize themselves. What does that look like for you? What, give me an example. I mean, I, I, well, I mean, Granted, I know kind of what it looks like for me, you know, yeah. but for yeah. you, what does that look like? It, it looks like being self-aware. That's, that's the, that was the big ticket that, that, that drove me home was that I had to be self-aware. I had to be self-aware of what I was physically feeling, what I was emotionally feeling. You know, I, I had to really lock into what was going on with me on a daily basis. And I always say, you know, caregivers need to take their emotional temperature. I really had to do that because I tend to be a control freak and a perfectionist and I push my own feelings down and I'm not aware of, I wasn't as aware of my body and my mind as I should have been when I was caring for other people. Cause I'd start to get snarky. You know, I'd start to get like <laughs> emotional. I'd start to get angry, you know, short tempered, frustrated and exhausted. So, you know, I, for me, self-care really began when I looked in the mirror and said, you know what, you're really focused on them. You need to focus on you a little bit. Like, how are you feeling? You know how they're feeling. You know what their temperature is. You know what's going on with them. What's going on with you? And, and that's how I started the self-care process. You've been doing this a while, talking to other caregivers and so forth and, and getting out there fighting this battle. What has surprised you about you through this journey? I mean, that, wow, that, that th things about you, you that you just didn't even realize you had in you. Wow, that's such a great question. And it, and it has to come from another caregiver because caregiving is a journey for everybody, for those we care for and for us. You know, everybody, um, everybody changes, I think. There's a lot of adaptation that you have to go through. 
But I think for me, caregiving, what really surprised me about my me was that how how I could function being completely exhausted. Like I had no idea how resilient I was. I know that I knew that I could get things done because that's my personality and I've done it in business. What I didn't understand about myself was how I was unstoppable. Like I, I, I would stop for myself before I would stop for the people I loved. I mean, I think the energy is God-given, you know? I mean, the energy that we have as caregivers, and we have to be really careful because it's it can be dangerous because we can run on nothing in the gas tank. And I think, you know, it surprised me how I could keep going. And what surprised me was how damaged I could be from it. You know, I, that I, I, I get, and we push ourselves. I often say we push ourselves recklessly, um, wow. hurl ourselves recklessly at something that cannot be changed. And it, it's, um, it, we, we end up becoming brittle in the process. And, yes. uh, you and I've had that conversation before I, I want, when you get out there and you're, and you're starting to see people engage with this book, you know, what are you, um, what are you hoping that your readers are going to, because I think, let me, let me set the table on this one. You and I have been doing this for a long time. There are things that we do that are very obvious to us, but they're not necessarily obvious to anybody else just because we've been doing it out of, out of time and uh, mm -hmm. the obvious becomes obvious right before it becomes obvious. And, and so one of the things that I, I try to, to remind myself is that, what I'm doing every day, I just kind of get into this pattern. I'm doing it out of expediency and out of necessity. Other people may have no clue to how to incorporate this in their own life. Talk about that in your book and how that's going to affect people in their journey. Yes. Uh, and, and, and yes, you and I really get it, you know, and, and I think that's the thing with so many caregivers. First of all, a lot of caregivers don't even realize they're caregivers. You know, I mean, if you're helping anybody out with anything, you're a caregiver. Second of all, you don't realize how isolating it is and how you isolate. I, I think that caregivers don't realize that, you know, they want to fix everybody and fix everything. And we can't, that's not what this is about. We can't control everything, you know, and I think you have to learn these things. I think that when you first go into caregiving, you think you're going to do it all, you're going to do it all perfectly, and you're going to do it all alone. And, you know, wrong, 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 wrong. You know, it's, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? It's, and, you know, and you're, and, and you're going to get burnout. We're all going to get burnout. You know, and people say, oh, you know, avoid caregiver burnout. You can't. Every single caregiver I know gets burnout. But Hold I on think a that they, that's one of those uh, things I'm going to have to write down. Avoid caregiver burnout. You can't. <laughs> I love that. I'm, gonna, I'm actually writing that one down. <laughs> You can't. It's impossible. It's it's an, we with the blessing and the goodness of our hearts. We're trying to do something that is devastating for all involved. You cannot avoid caregiver burnout. My whole thing is, do you want to hit the wall with caregiver burnout at 10 miles an hour or 150 miles an hour? That's the thing we can control. In other words, if you're aware of yourself and you focus on you and you try to prioritize things that make you feel better in your life 
when you do hit that wall of caregiver burnout, it's not going to be so devastating. And it's not going to take you a week to get back to back to your better self. You know, I think that's the thing that's that's so important is that if you we have to think of ourselves as athletes. We have to be in the best form we can be body, mind, spirit. In the, in the world of professional be. athletes, I'm a bowler. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm a well, I love that. What? How, just out of curiosity, what speed did you hit the wall at? Well, the first time I hit the wall, I hit it 150 miles per hour. Uh, and, I, and, and that's what, that's the message I want. The other message too is that there is no perfect caregiver and there's no perfect way to do it. And there's not a book. You can, I mean, you can buy a book that can give you suggestions and guide you, but there's no rule book. Everyone is, a, you know, everyone is doing the best they can. So I hit it. I went into it thinking that I had all the answers and I was going to do it. And I understood everything. And I hit the wall. And thank God I knew other caregivers and I called them. That was the first thing I learned. How hard was I, that phone call? That oh, first phone call, you know, surprisingly easy because Peter, I was so bad. I was physically and emotionally so freaked out. I was shaking. I had the shakes. I was literally like shaking. I, 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 I was in a state of terror. I, I thought something, I, I just, I can't tell you how upset and frightened I was physically and spiritually and emotionally. So scared that I thank God something, I picked the phone up. Well, and I'm glad the, I'm glad you did, and I'm glad of the journey that you've been on since that phone call, and you're you're helping a lot of people, including me. And I, I I'm just very grateful to have you uh, as a part of this. And the book is called Self Care for Caregivers. Suzanne White, CaregiverWarrior.com. She's a great friend of the show, great friend of mine, and we're going to have you back on soon. Okay. All right, my love. Thank you so much, and remember. You're just brilliant the way you are right now. Very much. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.